This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Well, welcome to the Saturate Podcast. I'm Brad Watson, and in this episode, I'm talking with the founder of Saturate, Jeff Vanderstelt. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, How is your family? How's Doxa? How are you doing? Family's doing well. Uh, School's getting started, you know, back into the normal swing of things, which is nice. Having schedule is a good thing, Uh, but we're really busy with sports. Caleb's in football, Haley's in soccer two in high school, one in middle school. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's full. It's good though. And uh, Docs is going well. It's great to get the fall started. Really encouraged by what I'm seeing God doing amongst our people and just the energy that I can sense the spirit is kind of breathing in to our church. It feels like there's there's a, a new readiness and eager uh, mm. hearts to press in more into being disciples and make disciples. So you know, it's been three and a half years of work. And so to start seeing some of the momentum, like I can, I can feel a difference when mm. I talk to people and even interact with some people who are drawn to our church because in their words, we take, we're taking it seriously. We're trying to really help people be disciples and make disciples. And that's something they want to be a part of. And that, that's not always been the case in terms of people that were coming. So it's cool to see God shifting the hearts of his people. Yeah. I bet that is really exciting. And yeah, three and a half years in, I bet that feels just a little bit of reward, which you don't always get in this sort of pastoral yeah. ministry. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably if you had asked me a year ago, I would have been like, I think we're doing okay, but I'm struggling a lot, you know, and uh, just not wasn't sure how long it would take for people mm. to really start to get it. And I'm starting to see the the wheels spinning a lot more and people, the lights coming on, you know people really starting to see it more. So that's good. Yeah, that's exciting. And and that kind of relates to today's topic. Today, we want to talk about this tension that many disciples face where they want uh, and they can see that the way of being a disciple and discipling others in the Bible, uh, or maybe they've read the book Saturate, or they've seen some of our videos that have come to an everyday event or something like that. And they see this sort of view of discipleship, and they're convicted by it, they're bought in, they believe in it. Maybe they even join a church that's talking about it a lot. But then the wholesale sort of changes of that ideal don't really happen. And so it's hard uh, for those people to find other people who want to join in with them and do that. Uh, They don't really know what to do. Uh, And then the reality sort of sinks in that while they're convicted, which is really great, they're on this long journey of making changes to their lives to actually live a life of discipleship uh, Monday through Sunday. And so, Jeff, I think with all your experience, both planting a church in the core of Tacoma, Washington, and then now leading a church in this very driven, success-oriented, suburban-type context of Bellevue, Bellevue, Washington, I can't really think of a better person to sort of talk about that tension and point us towards, yeah, just a very gospel-centered way forward uh, to be a disciple. So you ready for that conversation, Jeff? Definitely. Yeah. And there's real tension there and there's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's not, I mean, it, it does take a lot of patience and 
uh, grace and um, spirit working. There's so much. Yeah. But yeah, let's have it. So I think to start, I'd like to start with just what the church is, what a life is like following Jesus. I think a lot of times in America, we're a very critical culture, actually. We're optimistic and critical at the same time. Yeah, we've even spent, I think, the last several decades in the Church of America critiquing what the church is doing wrong and like how we're not doing it. Uh, But Jeff, I think you're one of the best people around talking about just what the church is and that sort of draws us in. So maybe we could start there, Jeff. What, what has God called us to be as the church? Well, I think we have to keep the, the larger vision in mind when we read prophetic words like from the prophet Habakkuk, where he mm-hmm. says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This future reality where God will be known and his glory will be revealed. And we know that that happened in Christ, that he is the fullest display of the glory of God. Uh, and so that that kicked into gear, that reality that if you, Jesus says, have you seen me, you've seen the father. So glory is the true reality of something. Mm -hmm. So like in Jesus, we see the true reality of God. And then Paul says in, uh, in Colossians 1 27, Christ in you, the hope of the hope of glory, that this mystery made known to the Gentiles is now is happening through Christ in you, which is a spirit now in his people. And then Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, it says that God gave him, Jesus, uh, as head over all things to the church, um, which is his body, in which he fills all in all, and all things are under his feet, uh, Paul says. And so you've got this beautiful picture of the church being the means by which God will make known the truth of what he's really like, the way I, I've been saying it lately is the invisible God wants to make himself known through the visible church. Mm. And, and the church is the means by which God will make his glory known in everyday life. He doesn't want the church to be seen as a, a meeting place. It's a people sent to, to where they live, work, learn, and play everywhere mm. uh, with, with the real presence of Christ by his spirit, empowering us and filling us to display what God's really like so that every man, woman, and child can meet God. They can Mm -hmm. see on a daily basis, they have the opportunity to come into contact with the living God through his people. That really is the church. And that's who we're called to be. And what I love about prophecy is that it will happen. Like Mm -hmm. God's always faithful to his word. So when he says this is going to happen, it's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. we now are to live in the present in light of the future. And I, I think that's the job of the church to say, what will it be like? Well, if we know that that's what it'll be like, then we should live today expecting it will be like that tomorrow, someday in the future. And so let's begin to live into the truth of who God says we are and what he will accomplish. So that's kind of how I see the church. And then, then everything we do, it's, it's like, how do we walk faithfully into that? How do we train the people of God to see themselves like that, that when they go to work, they are the means mm-hmm. by which God will bring about the knowledge of his glory to, in my case, Microsoft and Amazon and Google and you know, all these places where our people work um, and to their schools, the University of Washington, Bellevue Community College, you know, Seattle Pacific University, to their neighborhoods. You know, there's 1.9 million people right now who presently don't know Jesus around us. So it's a lot of people to reach. 
Um, and many of them are from other nations. I live in a city right now that is now being identified as the most internationally diverse city in the country. Mm-hmm. And so I've just got like the 1040 window showed up in our backyard <laughs> and they're moving in and like crazy here. And it's amazing. It's a great opportunity. That is but, uh, but our people have got to embrace the church has got to understand who they really are. Hmm. So I think when people see that it's, it is amazing. It is incredible to think that, that I am connected to the head who is Christ and he has authority over all things. So everywhere I walk, I walk with the authority and power and presence of Christ Mm-hmm. which gives me a, a much greater confidence that I'm not walking and doing this by myself. He's doing it in and through me. Right. Yeah. And I think that when we hear that, I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> I give my life for that uh, calling to be part of that. I think often when we hear that as believers, wherever we are in life, our hearts kind of leap for that. Like we beat stronger, it, our hearts beat faster for that. Like that's exactly because what you're describing is what the Bible describes. You're, you know, you're one of these people that has memorized so much scripture that uh, people love your sermons, but then later you scratch your head and you're like, oh, he was just quoting the Bible a bunch. Uh, that's <laughs> it why. wasn't anything new. <laughs> yeah, this is so much authority. It's <laughs> as if the Spirit inspired the words that he sang, which is so wonderful. And, and I think that that does, for a disciple, we say, yeah, I want in on that. And then I think something we find is the the Monday through Friday, and then the weekend busyness with our children, uh, running around to sporting events and things like that. We have this conviction about what the church should be like, but then it's kind of hard to see um, that sort of glory, tangible, making the invisible God visible through our lives. It seems to get lost. Um, How do you encourage people when they feel like our modern lives are just completely disconnected from what God's called us to. That's what I struggle with all the time here with our church. Um, more recently, I've, I've had to help them embrace the fact that all those things that we say are mundane are not mundane. Mm-hmm. Um, taking our kids to sports is not a mundane thing. That's a, that can be a, a God, a God thing. That's a, that's a, a the presence of God is there with you. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, 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 I want to teach people how to step into what they think is mundane and see it as the place where God shows up. And mm-hmm. God always shows up. He t- tends to regularly show up in the mundane, not in the spectacular. You know, in fact, it, it's interesting that the, the, in, the, in the disciples' time with Jesus, there's the transfiguration, and they all want to set up tents and hang out there forever. And Jesus <laughs> is like, no, 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 we need to go back down to the normal to the everyday. And I think that is where Jesus wants us. So, so for me, I'm just trying to help our people realize they, they already have a mission field and it's their, it's where they live. It's where their, their kids play. It's where their kids go to school. It's, it's where they, it's all the stuff of life. Mm-hmm. And if they can just step into that intentionally, we're not asking them to add a, anything to their life. We're just asking them to engage in their life with gospel intentionality. And, and they, they, when they see that, I mean, it's been fun. I, we just did a, a pilot group for, you know, training our people to think this way and with our mission communities. And I had this one couple who had been a part of the church for a very long time, even before I got there. And, and they were laughing. And I said, what's going on? They said, man, it just, 
everything you're saying seems like it would be fun. Like we'd actually enjoy <laughs> it. You know, like, like, and we keep saying to ourselves, I don't think this is probably okay. Cause it seems like we could just do this and we'd have a good time. Cause it would be, cause they actually live in this community where there's a community, you know, center and there's a pool and hmm. they live by a golf course that they, you know, they, they know everybody and, and their kids all go to the same school and they're like, man, it was just like intentionalized going to school and serving with our kids and getting to know the, the teachers and hanging out at the swimming pool and just doing life intentionally. Does that count? And it was almost right. like they didn't think it was okay. Like it needed to like be really hard and really painful. Yeah. And nobody would like it. And I, I think honestly, if we're not careful, some of the ways we've painted the picture of discipleship, and I, there's a real cost. I understand that. I love Bonhoeffer and everybody else who talks about the real cost of discipleship. Jesus promised we would suffer. We'd die to ourselves. But in some cases, I think what happens is you get this poverty mentality or this like super Christian idea like, mm-hmm. oh man, if I'm not doing what the apostle Paul did, I'm not, it doesn't count. And it's like, right. no, like the, all the people that, G, that Paul reached, they stayed where they were at and they, they lived on mission in their normal mm-hmm. life. And, and so I think it's really helping people embrace your life is the program Mm -hmm. and every day is the mission. And you, you can do this by just engaging with gospel intentionality and relationships with people that don't know him yet, but you do it, you know, you sit in the stands and you get to know someone while you're watching your kids sports and Mm -hmm. ask them about their week and you get to know their story or like me, I volunteer to be the announcer at the nice. my football game, you know? And so now I'm sitting up in the booth with a guy who's calling the plays and he's calling the numbers. And then in between, I'm talking to him, getting to know he and his wife. And I mean, it's just what I would do to serve my kids and our yeah. school. But now I'm, I'm aware that these people need mm-hmm. a significant connection with somebody who knows and is filled with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just helping people embrace what they're already doing with greater intentionality than they used to. And then I would add this. We, we actually have to stop doing things that uh, are pulling us out. I mean, I see the church, yeah. people, so much activity, so many programs that, mm-hmm. that we're just filling Christians li- Christian lives with Christian activity mm-hmm. to the point at which we're exhausted because then yeah. we need more volunteers and we, you know, we got to run more programs and we got to raise more money and we got all this stuff. And it's like, man, like, the programs are all around you. They're, they're, yeah. they're in your life. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, yeah, I think, I think church leaders got to realize that in some cases we're actually defeating uh, the mission or defeating our people because they're just too busy doing church stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's so good. And I think that even that cost of discipleship, I think something I'm beginning to realize as I look back on a little bit long, like a little bit of a track record, is that the real cost is actually having deep friends that you love and that hear the gospel, hear the story of God, love you, hang around, and then say, yeah, I just don't want that. You know, and that's really the, the heartbreak. Yeah, in, in the United States, we aren't going to, at this point in history, uh, we could change. We aren't probably going to lose our lives Mm-hmm. for the sake of the gospel, but we probably will lose our reputation potentially, or mm-hmm. we will probably have to like lose comfort um, because people will be in our lives and our homes. Uh, we'll, we'll have to like lose some of our privacy that we cherish so much because, mm-hmm. because people are going to invade it. And, and so I think, I think if we're not, I think if we want the kingdom, but we don't want the life of the kingdom, 
Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, it's very clear what kind of life is flourishing when you read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So if you, if you don't want that flourishing life, then don't expect to experience the kingdom of God breaking in. Mm. And that flourishing life is people. It's, mm. it's love. It's sacrifice. It's giving time to people. And, but you can do that in the midst of what you're already doing. That's the thing yeah. that I, I want people to get. It's, it's not like we have to go to another country. We just need to walk across the street. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I, and that, like you were just saying, our life is the actual program, which has implications for pastors and staff and leaders of churches and for people in churches as well, uh, lay people or disciples. Yeah. I think getting into that, what would it look like for your life to be the program? Uh, and maybe you could just sort of flesh out a little bit more what you mean by gospel intentionality. I think so, that might be new information for some people. What are the those baby steps of beginning to walk that out? Yeah. When I think of gospel intentionality, I'm thinking about the motives for why I do what I do, the means for how I do what I do, and eventually the message. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the motive is I'm willing to go across the street because Jesus left heaven to come to earth for me. Like there's a motive there. I'm willing to sacrifice some of my comfort because Jesus suffered and died for me. I'm willing to love people who reject me because we rejected him and yet he accepted us. And so every single thing that would keep me from doing, walking out in faithfulness to Jesus's call is addressed by the gospel itself. So it changes my motives, the internal structure of my heart and why I do what I do. And then the means by which I do it is, okay, the very things I do are going to be demonstration of what has been done. Mm-hmm. So what, and I've said this many times, like what God does to you, he intends to do through you. So if I'm, if I'm sitting in the stands and I take the time to listen to the person next to me, I do that because I have a God who's listening to mm-hmm. me, who takes care to pay attention to me, uh, who is willing to be mindful of the number of hairs on my head. Like that, that's mm-hmm. just a crazy idea. And so the, I, I open up the table because Jesus opened up the feast of the kingdom for me mm-hmm. and uh, I will get to enjoy him forever. And we'll have this feast one day with him and, you know, in that wonderful wedding banquet of the, the, the lamb. And so I've got that. And then, so I just think through everything that I'm doing, the motive changes and the means. So now I'm going, I want to demonstrate what's been done to me by the very things I do for them. Mm-hmm. So when I, when, why, why do I invite them over? Because he invited us in. Why do I listen? Well, because he cares and listens to me. Why do I potentially give up something for the sake of another? Because he gave up his life for me. And when I do it, I'm actually showing, not just, I'm not just motivated, I'm actually giving the means, the picture of what God has done. And then I want to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in me. So as people then ask, why, so why do you guys stay later and you know, pick up after the, after the football game when everybody else just wants to get out of here with their kids. Why do you guys do the Thursday night meal? Um, you know, you don't have to do that. Um, why are you there? And well, because then I get to give them an answer. And I remember I was asked that one time, like, why is your missional community at the, at the Thursday night football meal that none of the people in your mission, they didn't call the missional community, but why are these people, you know, in your right. group hanging out here? None of them have kids here. Yeah, And I said, well, we believe that God has sent us to really be a picture of what he's like. 
that mm. he, I know you're really busy. I know us giving you a meal is one less thing you got to worry about before you go pick up the next kid at the next sport. So it's a way of just showing you what our God's like. He cares yeah. about you. He feeds hungry people. He takes yeah. care of the busyness and wants you to learn how to rest. And so we're just here showing you what our God is like by what, we, what mm-hmm. we're doing. And I'm just ready to give that answer. And that, you know, the, and mm-hmm. I've never had anybody go like, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you anymore. They're like, well, that's real. It's either like, that's really interesting or that's kind of strange or I don't believe in God. But I've had a lot of people go like, that's really amazing. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's so encouraging. Mm-hmm. So when I think of gospel intentionality in these things, I'm thinking why I do it, how mm-hmm. I do it. And then when I'm asked sharing who, who's, mm-hmm. who's the reason for why I do this, and that's Jesus. So I want to let them know, yeah, God cared enough for me mm-hmm. to send his own son. God cared enough for me to help me find rest, spiritual rest in mm-hmm. Christ. And so that's, that's kind of how I think about that. And, and I think you can do that in absolutely everything you do. You really mm-hmm. can. How you go to work can be done differently. Your motives for how you treat your fellow employees can be completely different in light of how God has treated you in Christ. And then the way you work should look different because mm-hmm. of the way that you've been changed by Christ. And then when you get to explain why you're not just looking out for you all day long at work, but you're looking out for others. You get to tell them because God looked out for me. God Mm -hmm. thought of my needs to the point of laying down his life for me. So that's why I do that for my fellow workers. Mm -hmm. So it just, it starts to just shape everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I like that. That's, that's how you explain it. I was, you know, hoping, banking on 95% sure that that's how you would explain these baby steps. Uh, And I like that you describe it as gospel intentionality instead of missional intentionality, because the focus is uh, on what God has already done and what God is doing and what God will do uh, in our lives, through our lives. And that becomes the whole picture, the whole lens that we see the world that then becomes this very missional and impactful thing that we do. And I, I think that some people might get frustrated and say, but I want to plan. Like, why doesn't, you know, saturate just give us these 10 things to do every day and then I'm a missional person. But I like that you never do that. So just to, just to brag on our saturate founder, you never give, these are the 10 things that we should do. Uh, and if you just do those 10 things, outcomes a great result because, you know, we'll just use that and turn it into yeah, a new legal that'll destroy our our souls. Yeah, it will. Yeah, yeah, and and then what we we hold up is not Jesus. Mm-hmm. We hold up this new strategy or this new plan or this new program instead of like no, at the heart of all this is it's it's Jesus changing us and Jesus working through us and mm-hmm. then us giving Him as the hope for right. the world. So yeah, and that can be done in absolutely everything you do. Mm-hmm. That's what's beautiful about it. Yeah. It's totally transferable to any context, to any people, and anywhere in the world. Yeah, and so then it's just making yourself think through what is motivating my like my life. Like, what are the primary motives in which I take into every activity? Uh, is it to get a good buck, get ahead? Is it to make myself important? Is it to prove myself to you know the invisible voices in my head? Yeah, there's some good stuff there. Yeah. 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 And so there's also though, those are some, you know, living out your everyday life with that intentionality, focusing on the gospel. Also, there are times though, where God calls us to really big changes, like big shifts as we live this way, 
I'm sure it's happened many times in, in, with people in your church, even yourself. And so how do we help people process that? Like, oh, God's calling me to this big, complete, like alternative life. Uh, how do you help navigate people in your church through that calling, that, yeah, challenge? Well, you know, it's interesting is usually when, because, you know, what we were just talking about is like those just baby steps of like engaging everyday life, intentionality, mm-hmm. gospel intentionality. and But often what will happen is as you begin to follow God in those ways, he often brings you to a Red Sea moment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to a, a place that requires great faith, or a place that might require great repentance. You know, um, you think of Peter's being returned back to Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. after he denies him three times and he gets that beautiful restoration opportunity with Christ. And so what I have found is as we follow God in everyday life, as we learn to obey him and engage in everyday mission with gospel intentionality, he often brings you to a place, whether it's your church has to rethink things or you, mm-hmm. where you have a, a kind of a Red Sea moment where you're going, okay, the Lord's calling me to step out in faith in a way it's Peter stepping out of the boat. You know, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come to you. But what I've found is you usually know that he's doing it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, it's not like you're confused. Like, <laughs> is God calling me to a big thing? Is there a big leap? He hasn't, it's like, no, it's obvious. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, now I have a heart for foster kids. You know, we've been, mm-hmm. we've been serving these families and not now my wife and I are having this conversation about like, are we supposed to like do foster to adopt? That would change everything for us. Mm-hmm. And but you know, it's there in front of you and you can't deny it. Now you're like, we've been in this long enough with these baby steps, but we cannot deny the fact that there's a huge opportunity God's put right in front of us. And we have to actually step out in faith like we've never had to do before. Mm-hmm. And and God will do that. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about following him. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the next thing you know, he's going to ascend to heaven. And he's like, now I'm going to send you to the nations. And, yeah. you know, and it's, it's going to be hard out there. It's like sending, you know, lambs amongst wolves, you know. And so you go, oh, wow, God, is that what you really called us to? And yes, it is. Mm. But here's what I found. As you follow Jesus in those daily ways and you learn to be a, acquainted with his presence guiding you then when the big red sea comes when the stepping out of the boat moment happens you know you have a god who's been with you all along mm-hmm. you know you have a god who can accomplish mighty things and the the desire of your heart is to obey him mm-hmm. and and so what will happen is he will bring you to that place where you will say do i love him more than all else? Mm. Do I trust him more than anything else? Will I follow him regardless? Mm. And, and I've found that by, because I believe even both repentance is a gift from God where I go, I've got to turn for what I used to be doing and turn another way. But mm. so is stepping out in faith. That's a faith is a gift itself that God grants you. Mm. And so you find yourself having faith you didn't have before to step out in ways you never did before. And so that that I think God will lead you to either take steps of faith that you, in a sense, you can't you can't avoid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just he's it's Jesus on the water going, "Yep, I'm telling you, come to me," and you're like, "Okay, I, I'm doing this." Yeah. Uh, or he'll lead you to repent. I mean, you will see he will reveal sin in your life. He'll re- yeah. reveal unbelief in your life. You as you begin to start to open your life to what he wants to do, and he brings you into contact with people you're going to find yourself going, I'm really selfish or I'm really insecure. Or, I'm really, mm-hmm. I, I give, I give my life over to me so much. 
And he won't let you keep doing that. He mm-hmm. just, he loves you too much. And the beautiful thing about his mission is his mission leads you to die to self, leads to repent of sin, leads you to depend on him in new ways and leads you to walk in faith like you've never done before. And as a result, you get him. Mm-hmm. You get him giving you himself. You get him giving you his power. You get him giving you his grace for all that he's calling you to. And mm-hmm. that's the beauty of the whole journey. I mean, that's why when I, when I talk to people about like joining this, following mm-hmm. Jesus, I, I, I always promise them it's better to follow him mm-hmm. on his mission than anything else you'll do. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, though you will die to self and repent of sin, and walk in faith like never before, you will get the one who will enable you to do it all. And that's mm-hmm. the whole goal is that you get Jesus. Yeah. And so that's, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What will you get? Jesus guaranteed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been reading the Lord of the Rings all over again. And uh, one of the things I'm noticing this time is just how much time Tolkien spends in the beginning where they're in the Shire and all this life of the Shire and how happy and joyful they all are. But then this, this thing happens where they have to leave the Shire or they'll surely die. And they have to go on this journey together and they don't know where they're going for the whole, like 200 pages of them wandering around in woods and following strange creatures. And finally they get some help, but they still don't know where they're going or how long it's going to take. But if they had stayed, it becomes more and more clear. If they had stayed where they were, they would have surely died and everything would have been lost. And, and instead, they've been sort of cast into this journey and uh, this really a pilgrimage with other people, too, that don't know what they're doing and how mm-hmm. to get there. And, yeah, I, I've just been drawn to that reality that, that that's what a, a missional community is as well. Uh, that's yeah. what the church has always been. Yeah. That's the story of Israel, right? If they right. Would have stayed in Egypt, they would have they wouldn't have made it. You know, mm-hmm. he would have eventually just enslaved them to a point of death, and then but then their whole wandering in the wilderness. You're like, I mean, we know the end of the story, but if you mm-hmm. were in their shoes the whole time, you're going like, what in the world is God doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not what we thought when He mm-hmm. said there's a promised land, and. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true for us today. We, we are in that wilderness wandering, as it were. We are the sojourners, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then they, when they were in exile in Babylon, it's like, what is going on? What is, why aren't we home? Why aren't mm-hmm. we back, you know, with the temple and all these things and that we know, that we recognize? It's just not, this is not recognizable. And, and yet, the point for all of that is God saying, you got me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in the midst of you. That's the point. And follow me, mm-hmm. and I will make you follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So it's this idea: like if we follow him, he will make us into what he wants, mm-hmm. and he will lead us into where he wants us to go. Yeah, and he'll be with us always. He will be with us always mm-hmm. till the end. He said he promised that. Yeah, and I I think that's in that the whole Tolkien thing, the the really big difference between our life following Jesus and what happens in the Lord of the Rings is they're just all on their own and there's no one with them that has like the power or the ability or the wisdom or the love or the discernment. Like they're just trying to figure it out. And yet, yeah, just those words of Jesus saying, and I will be with you to the end of the age is just, 
yeah, if, if that's not the reward for us, if it's, oh, there's going to be all these people coming into heaven because of me, if that's the reward, man, we'll, we'll stop. I would years ago, <laughs> or man, when I get to heaven, they're going to be so proud of me. Like I've done such good work or they're going to give me a prize one day. But if it's, oh, I get Jesus for now until the end of the age, then in the future, he's like, the grace that I've been seeing will be immeasurable because I'll like see that all of this was just a sample of the grace he wants to give me. Mm. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's a, that's a powerful truth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. That's really great. I wonder if, uh, if there's anything else really to share about that, Jeff. I wonder, do you have any other things that you would add uh, as you've helped pastor people in this stuff? I think the, the thing that I, I would want people to, to be processing through is, um, you know, just kind of the daily awareness of, of God leading them and them inviting him to lead and to say, like, what next, Lord? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think it's a great prayer to say, what do you have for me today? What way do you want me to walk? And I want to walk in that. Mm. What, what people do you have me to care for that I have not been paying attention to? Where have you granted favor that I might walk into it? Where has Mm -hmm. your spirit already preceded me so that I can join you in your work? In that sense, those are those baby steps, right? To go back to the earlier, it's like, those are the everyday things that you can do. Mm-hmm. that are not lofty. Those are just daily steps. We've got some people that tease me around here once in a while that I paint a picture of Mount Everest, but everybody that I'm leading is drunk in base camp. And, uh, <laughs> and so there's this idea of the beauty, beauty of getting to the top, but everybody is so far away. Mm-hmm. And then, so then the conversation we have is how do we just get them to the trailhead? Mm-hmm. And then for me, it's how do I just help them take steps? Mm-hmm. Because one step after another, and you'll be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll look back and say, man, that we came a long way. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think to use your, back to your, you know, the Lord of the Rings, you know, you're reading the story and they're just trudging along. Now, mm-hmm. there's crazy things that come their way. There's dragons. There's, mm-hmm. you know, people wanting, there's all kinds of creatures wanting to kill them. I mean, all that stuff yeah. is going on, which is true in our life too. We are in a spiritual war. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, I, if I could warn people, it's like so much of the spiritual warfare going on around you looks really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's the culture you live in that says pursue comfort and mm-hmm. and you know think about yourself above everyone else and yeah slander and gossip is a great thing because it makes you look better at the cost of mm-hmm. someone else and and yeah when someone hurts you reject them and never forgive them again and never let them i mean all these things it's like you don't even realize that's your flesh mm-hmm. and then the evil one loves to come in and just stir that up and the world just is fostering this mm-hmm. and so we are in a war and, and when you take these steps of following Jesus, that war gets real. I mean, mm-hmm. it really does. And so sometimes those, what feels like a big step is actually facing your, your fear, facing your flesh, mm-hmm. facing the evil around you, and mm-hmm. then being willing to step through it. So I would just say daily, ask God, what's next? Where do you want mm-hmm. me to go? Who do you want me to love? Where are you already at work? How do I join you? And now keep my eyes alert, Lord Jesus, to the spiritual battle around me so I don't find myself giving into it or walking in fear of it, but I press in and and walk through with your help. So those would be the things I'd say. And then I'd just say, like, get ready to see what he's going to do. And sometimes it takes a long time. 
the mission of Jesus is not instantaneous. Mm-hmm. A lot of the the long term reality of seeing people's lives changed uh, is about you growing in patience and endurance mm-hmm. and experiencing the fruit of the spirit instead of just wanting instantaneous transformation of everybody you come to. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's that can happen. My experience has been most people in the Northwest, it takes a couple of years for conversion uh, mm-hmm. for them to be even warmed up to the gospel. And so, and then I can get really frustrated, get really impatient and mm-hmm. the Lord then works on me and has to remind me, Hey, remember how patient I was with you mm-hmm. and how, how it took you 21 years to, wake up to me, even though I was always there pursuing you. Mm. And so then I'm like, that's the right Lord. I want to be like that for others. You were that Mm. way for me. And so the Lord sometimes doesn't give you immediate change so that you can become more like Christ Mm -hmm. uh, in your patient endurance. So you can understand the love of the Mm. father and that he is, his love is not uh, based upon our our performance or behavior or even response that he still mm-hmm. loved us while we were sinners. Right. And so you, you grow in the depth of your character sometimes through what feels like very unfruitful ministry. Yeah. And if I can say it to pastors, and listening, it's like some of you think you can force the hand of God, or if you just get mm-hmm. it right, everybody will change. And sometimes God doesn't allow you to experience immediate transformation mm-hmm. or significant ministry growth for your own good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so absolutely often it seems like my wife and I are geared this way of we'd rather have a bunch of non-Christian friends than Christian friends because and I think it is our flesh because the Christian friends drive us crazy because they don't love our non-Christian friends enough so patience all day with these friends we're hanging out with I'll invite them on vacation with me. Like we'll go ski. Like we'll do all that together. But like yeah. the Christian people, it's like, ah, oh, I'm just so frustrated. And I think uh, <laughs> my wife and I too, we feel the same way. <laughs> so <laughs> work through that all the time. Cause we have so much grace for the non-believer mm-hmm. and oftentimes so little grace for the believer. Yeah. And I think that's the rub for us. I'm growing in patience and the yeah. fruit of the spirit towards oh, well, God was really gracious with me and all these things that I never understood or never saw as sin or never confessed or never enjoyed from him. Can I show that to these brothers and sisters? Yeah. Yeah. I've had to grow in that a lot because taking over a church that we are, you know, been transitioning Mm. the last three and a half years from Sunday to everyday thinking, there's been days I've been very frustrated and wondering why it's taking so long and why people just want one more Bible study when they have had plenty of study. They just don't obey (laughs) what they read, you know, and it's like, gosh, you guys. Mm -hmm. But then the Lord just goes, this is who I've given you and I want you to love them. And Mm -hmm. he gives me affection for them. And I, as, as I grow in my affection for them, my patience grows as well. And I've learned more and more that my affection for Christ worked out in my affection for people always moves in the direction of the fruit of the spirit mm. that produces that, you know, when my mind by the spirit with the spirit's help is set on Christ, mm-hmm. I have that fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And yeah. uh, when I don't, then I, my self-righteousness oftentimes says I will be patient with the non-Christian because mm-hmm. they, we've got lots of reasons why they won't do these things or obey. Right. 
But for the Christian, why in the world? Why would they not obey? Like they have a spirit and they know the word. They have everything. Why wouldn't they? And then you go, well, why don't I right now? Right. Now I'm impatient with them. And and my impatience is not the fruit of the spirit, which means now I'm walking in the flesh. So then the Lord goes, yeah, you are the problem right now, Jeff. Let's just work on you. So Yeah. Which is a good, <laughs> that is a good cycle. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, it goes back to that, do we live with gospel intentionality to our brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah. Like, yeah. with the same motives and means and message. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's really good. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Really great conversation. Encouraging for me. And I'm sure it will be encouraging for our listeners, too. And, yeah, I invite everyone just to be praying for Doxa and the city of Bellevue as the nations continue to come and as also as uh, literally Bellevue ships stuff all over the world so and ideas along (laughs) so yeah thanks Jeff and uh, we'll be praying for you thank you today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.